Welcome to Connemara Ponytails, a series of interviews giving you an insider's view on all things related to the Connemara Pony. We'll be exploring a broad range of topics with experts in their fields and also having some light-hearted chats with breeders, riders, producers and Connemara Pony enthusiasts. We hope you enjoy this free series. Follow updates and share feedback on our Facebook page, Connemara Pony World. Hello and welcome to Connemara Ponytails. I hope you are all well. We previously recorded an episode on hoofwald separation disease, which has been one of our highest downloaded episodes. I thought a really interesting topic to cover would be a discussion on the genetics of the Connemara Pony. I'm delighted to be joined by two experts in their fields, and I think we should all learn quite a bit in this chat. Firstly, may I introduce Fiona Comer? Fiona is from New Zealand and has a Bachelor of Agricultural Science from Massey University in New Zealand and a Graduate Diploma in Business Studies also from Massey University. Fiona was President of the CPS in New Zealand for two to three years, represented New Zealand at the ICCPS meeting in 2014 and chaired the HWSD meeting at Clifton in August 2014 where Carrie Fino presented the research on HWSD. Fiona rode and competed ponies in the 1970s before New Zealand had any Connemara ponies enjoying show jumping and eventing. She bought her first Connemara pony in 1999 and bred her first Connemara foal in 2006. Fiona imported two infill mares from Australia after that. Both mares and one filly foal turned out to be NHWSD, which is a carrier, and the other filly foal is HWSD, HWSD, which is positive to hoof wall. Fiona actually breeds from the positive hoof wall mare, as her genetics are very different from the rest of the New Zealand Connemara population. We also have with us Dr. Melissa Cox from Canada, who has earned her doctorate in genetics from Texas A&M University, specialising in animal gen- genetics. In 2014, Melissa joined the company that is now Generatio GmbH, Centre for Animal Genetics in Germany. They offer the hoofwall separation disease test in their lab and are in contact with the Connemara Pony Groups in Germany to support efforts to educate breeders about the disease. Melissa was concerned about a small breed with a high carrier frequency losing genetic diversity, so Benno Helvig put her in contact with the Connemara Pony Research Group. She proposed a project to evaluate the genetic diversity of Connemara pony populations in different countries using DNA profiles that are already generated as part of standard parentage testing. This study was presented at the European Federation of Animal Science annual meeting in 2020, and after more data is added, the plan is to publish. Melissa has a soft spot for the breed. She loves a pony that is versatile and friendly and easy to be around with a good sense of humour. Ladies, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. Much appreciated. Thanks for the invitation. Not at all. Pony genetics is a very broad topic. Um, I did want to start off on a report that Fiona had put together previously on the genetic diversity of our stallions, focused on the rare and declining lines. Fiona, could you just give us a little bit of context on this report and what exactly it focuses on? I, I guess about 2013, I put together a, using all the various international societies' uh, websites, I put together a list of stallions around the world and categorised them into the five 
different stallion lines, the, the blue, red, purple and orange and green. Um, and it gave me an overview of what was around the world, what was what ponies were there. And that's, that was back then. It just sort of sat there. I had no way of getting details of numbers of foals or anything like that. Yeah. But then in late 2019, Sheila Ramsey, who also is from New Zealand and we're good friends, she put together um, a list of foals born from 2016 to 2019, 8,300 foals roughly. I borrowed that from list that work from her and looked at it from, she was looking at it from the perspective of hoof wall and I wanted to look at it from the lines of the stallions. So when I put that together and worked out the numbers of foals, it looks the blue line, which is predominantly was Carnabobby and Rebel Mm. Wind, uh, Moigley's, Samson and Turin Ross, they make up nearly half the foals, just that one line. Um, born in that over those four years, wow. the red line, which is predominantly Abbey Lixowan and some other Dunangus stallions or descendants, and the Macdara descendants, they make up about a quarter. The green line, which is the Mountain Lad line, uh, which is basically Hazy Dawn descendants and Thunderbolt descendants, those are the two branches of that. That's about one sixth of the of the foals. The purple line is roughly, which is Karna Dunn's line, is roughly ten percent of the foals, and the orange line is just half a percent of the foals for those four years. So, but then when you can break those lines down even into more, because the blue the lines were set up uh, by Pat line away back in the probably 1960s or 70s. Yes, yeah. And things have moved on a lot since then. So I can then split them up into like the blue line, the really are four separate lines there. There's yeah, the Carter Bobby, the Rebel Wind, the Moigley Sampson, and, and Turin Ross. And some of that's starting to divide even now as we get further, as it branches away from the original, yeah. or branches out. What, what becomes obvious is that some lines are doing very well, or you could say doing very well, or overrepresented, Um, and some lines are, I'm not sure if they're being forgotten, or they're just very small, and those are the ones that uh, bring the diversity to the breed, and we need to keep them to keep some balance to um, keep the population of ponies healthy. I was just wondering, this uh, 8,300 falls, is this uh, worldwide in that time period or in a specific country? Just in Ireland. Just in Ireland, okay. Yeah, just in Ireland, yes. Um, yes. What, what um, the orange line has the smallest percentage. What's the influential stallions in that line? There's, there was Blue Smokey, who I don't think is leaving foals anymore. There was Derry Moore Duncan, yeah. who's still around. Capure Hurricane. Starsky, he's probably one of the better known ones, and All Smoke. And these ones are all related or they're just separate put into this one line? Oh, they're all related. Well, they're all related. They're either sons or grandsons of uh, Smokey Duncan or Gunsmoke. Okay, and thank you. 
we, we know that genetic diversity is important in anything in general. Are we saying then, if we're looking at the blue line with 50%, we really need to look at those lines and potentially slow down? And then if we go all the way down to the bottom with the orange line, really foster and try and find where those lines are so that we can almost it's, reinvigorate them? Yes. So the orange line needs to be, if we if we want it to continue, it really needs to be an effort to get uh, good mares who have um, preferably quite a bit of Clonkehan oratum in them to those stallions to, to boost the, if you like, that Arab-derived deriv- Line, you know, so there's mares like Rebel Justice mares. Um, you know, he has quite a lot of uh, clunky and oratum in him, um, and there are others too. But those sorts of mares that are different, so we don't want to put mares that have got lots of Abilix iron or Carnabobby to the orange line. Why, why, why? would you want to to uh, increase the diversity also in uh, those lines? Yes, but in terms, I'm thinking in terms of producing stallion sons to keep the lines going forward um, if you can concentrate that Arab line those you can have something that's more of an outcross for the other lines Melissa asked was that Ireland and you said yes would should we consider looking at international markets other countries that have a higher predominance of the orange or say purple lines and look at importing semen as an option um, I'm sure that's an option, but the, the thing is to look after what you've got at home at the moment. That's that's part of it. But the orange line is very rare. Uh, there are hand, one or two stallions in France. There's one in Norway. There's um, quite a nice one in a couple in Australia. One or two in Canada, USA. That's the sort of numbers that there are. It's very small. Fiona, to to a breeder, if they a, a regular breeder, if they don't have one of these rare mare lines, um, wouldn't it still make sense for them to be able to increase the diversity by putting one of their more common mare lines to a diverse stallion? Oh yes, um, yes for sure. Yes, yeah, that will that will that will help, but um, that will help. But to get the most value out of um, an outcross, the mares, the best of the mares, diverse as well. Of course, that's what. Uh, but I'm just thinking of what an average breeder. Yes, has available. You know, somebody yes. who, What can I do to help? Um, mm-hmm. If they don't have one of the rare mares, would you still uh, suggest that they consider one of these other stallions? Yes, for sure. Yeah, any. I mean, with the small numbers of foals that these stallions have, yeah, more more foals is going to give you more choice of what's kept through for breeding. Yeah, and if and if you can add on the diversity of those yeah. um, of the mares, you know, if the mares are more diverse, that gives you more choice. But that's yeah, more foals is better than no foals, and <laughs> diverse mares are better than yeah, mares that are full of abilix iron and carnabobby. So I have a question for Melissa, just with regards to this, Melissa, with regards to inbreeding, if we continue to grow the blue line which currently in Ireland has 50% or above of foals from that period um, that Fiona outlined. Are you in your centre of research and the genetic work that you're doing, are you seeing an increase in genetic issues with the pony? Or is this something that 
you know from other breeds that there's a high propensity that there will be issues if we don't start thinking more seriously about this? Well, uh, we're looking at a couple different things and we're looking at the genetic diversity and the overall health of the ponies. So, of course, the genetic diversity will um, have um, a long-term effect and uh, then we've got things like hoof wall that um, we're dealing with and uh, that's definitely a, um, a major problem as well. I think it would help to give a little bit of background um, perhaps on the study we did. So um, what um, the goal was that I proposed to um, Conair Pony Research Group and worked with uh, Sheila Ramsey on was just first doing an overall survey of what genetic diversity do we have in different populations. And so um, really also to see if uh, geographical distance has caused a problem. So genetic mm. diversity is usually highest in a source population. Mm. And so that would be in Ireland. And subpopulations uh, are usually at risk from effects of founder effect, uh, bottlenecks, um, random drift. So when you take a smaller number of uh, ponies to a distant area, then uh, your diversity is limited by the ponies you take. Yeah. And so um, there's also different um, pressures from response to selection. And um, those can also be different in different um, areas. And so we wanted to look at the genetic diversity in the different subpopulations. And I was thinking, well, how do we do this? Um, trying to raise money on an international scale is always a challenge. But the ponies that are in studbooks currently are all parentage tested. And so we can use the same DNA profiles that are generated for the parentage testing, we can use to calculate diversity. And so this is a way to do it with uh, very little, well, no money. <laughs> um, and that was really um, a plus of being able to use um, information that's already there and evaluate the genetic diversity simply by going to the stud books of different countries and requesting this data. And most of them have it and can get it from the laboratory that they're working with. And they can um, anonymize the data. And so they sent us just the profiles with lab sample numbers. So we have no idea what ponies are what. So there's no concern yeah. about identity or, or finding anything. There's no data security. Personally identifiable information. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so um, we had really good response initially from... Um, New Zealand, Australia, and Canada. And what was really, really powerful about this study is that these represent full populations. So these were all of the profiles that were generated since parentage testing started in those countries. And a usual study, you go to a place and try to get maybe 40 or 50 animals from geographically diverse um, areas within, let's say if we were looking at Ireland, geographically distant within Ireland, um, but that's just a representative sample, and you mm. don't know what you're missing. And so the real power of this study was able to get uh, the full populations. And so we were able to get nearly 600 profiles from Australia, 150 from Canada, and 175 from New Zealand. And so um, with all of these populations, we compared them to a database at Texas A&M University. They also collaborated on the study, Gus Cotran's lab. And okay. um, 
So they had also 69 uh, Connemara profiles in their um, American sample, so that was just a representative sample. And then it was also compared to 79 other domestic horse breeds, um, also representative samples just from what they had in their database. And But Melissa, was, was there a hypothesis for this piece of research or, you know, is well, there going to be a conclusion? Yeah, the hypothesis was that the subpopulations would have lower genetic diversity because mm. they were distant from the home population where you've got a much, much larger number of ponies being bred. And so generally your home population would have the highest genetic diversity. Mm. And so we were thinking, okay, um, this type of study would allow us to see how similar the different populations are to each other and how different, how they mm. contribute to each other. And maybe uh, are there lines from Ireland that, not that we can say which lines are in this, but um, does Ireland have a large uh, genetic diversity difference that we should be um, perhaps importing more ponies or, or this type of thing? Okay, so you can actually, on the back of the research, once it's completed, identify potential gaps and potentially action, whether it's stallion or mares, into the herd for the particular country if there's a, if there's a need. Yeah, we couldn't identify particular lines, um, okay. but this was just the first step. So, and overall, how are the populations related? And so um, we compared all of these lines to each other using these statistical um, measures. What was uh, interesting is that all of the tested uh, populations um, had comparatively high levels of variance. And so um, the highest mean number of alleles, so the highest number of different alleles in a population were found in Australia. The highest um, observed heterozygosity, so also another measure of, of difference, was highest in Canada. And all of this was higher than what we would expect based on general Volume. statistical Volume. parameters. Uh, but that's only good news. This is good news. And so mm. the negative inbreeding coefficient, FIS, was that's negative. That means that it's lower than expected um, level of inbreeding. Mm. So this is really good. What yeah, we have yeah. to remember is that this is all of the ponies that have been tested. So this could be 20, 30 years of ponies. Mm. So it's not a snapshot of what animals are currently being bred. All yeah. of the ones that have been in the breeding population, or not even breeding population, this was just full population of all animals that had been bred. We don't have a report to compare it against if we look at Ireland. No, no this is just the very first step. Yeah. And so all we could do at this point, we compared the populations that we had. And so um, we were able to see that um, we had uh, similarities, uh, the most similarity were um, between uh, Canada and the U.S., which is expected since they shared a stud book until the early 2000s, that Australia actually breaks down to three subpopulations. We also found that there wasn't as much, um, when you compare all the populations, we also put in two uh, outgroups to be able to compare to. And so one was the Exmoor pony, since they're a British Isles pony that um, has kind of a similar breed development history. And okay. we also compared against the sorebred as having been involved in um, the development of the breed. Okay. And so um, we were able to see that um, the Connemara ponies and the Exmoor are very different from the sorebred. And then mm. when you break it down more, the, the Exmoor are different from 
um, the column errors. So this is all good and makes sense. And it tells us that our calculations are working Accurate, yeah. Yeah. It's brilliant. And when are we, when are, would we as the public be in a position to access this research or have it presented to the wider, a wider audience? Um, it's going to be presented on the um, Connemara Pony uh, Research Society website. And we're okay. just um, finishing working up um, some frequently asked questions now to help it make sense to people. Got it, yeah. And um, so this is, we, we also found that the different populations, country groups, so um, New Zealand was more similar to Australia, and so so this was expected. And the only thing we have from Ireland, um, we did not receive any feedback from them, any response to our request for profiles. Um, and so we had to go with the only um, published data that's available. In 2015 and 2019, there were publications from Winton and colleagues uh, where they looked at 48 Connemaras. So they found that um, there wasn't uh, a large amount of inbreeding in those animals, but they were very careful to pick animals from different geographical locations in uh, Britain and Ireland. So they specifically looked for different, hopefully different populations. So that yeah. was showing, yes, there is diversity there, but it wasn't showing, it was showing that there's sources of diversity. It doesn't mean that the overall pony is diverse. What we, what we were finding is that... Um, the base populations are quite diverse between the different countries. Yes. And what the next step is, well, we've got now uh, data from Britain, and we're hoping to get some other countries as well so we can continue this looking at the whole country. But we're also going to be requesting um, data from just the last five years of foals from each of the countries. And then we can look at what is the actual diversity of the foals that are being produced. Mm -hmm. And okay. that's where we'll yeah. really yeah. get... Um, because if they... Into the current situation, breed, yeah. If we looked at the breed populations in the study we just did and saw that they're all related and there's no diversity, well, then um, it's not going to show us much information if we just look at the last five years because overall it's, it's very poor. But in With fact, we found that there is a lot more diversity. And so it's worth looking at the last five years to see is that base diversity continued in a breeding population mm. or has it narrowed? Your study has looked at the microsatellites that are used for um, DNA parent verification. So that's about 17 sets of microsatellites for each that's pony. That's right. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I breed Suftex sheep and, and one of the things we do is um, that we send away DNA samples to do parent verification but um, it's done with Snip chips. Mm -hmm. uh, so, would is that likely to come on stream further along for uh, for ponies or horse equines, if you like? And will it would it add extra value to a more detail in terms of inbreeding? Yeah. So I'm actually involved in um, work that's being done to develop a snip chip um, in um, Germany in a consortium. Um, but right now it's focusing on warm bloods. There'll have to be a lot of money um, put in by the different clubs um, and stud books to start using the SNP chips. Um, the main thing being that all of the existing profiles are in microsatellites. Um, in order to switch over to the SNP chips for the parentage SNPs, you have to then have at least one generation that is profiled in both ways. 
and have the money to do switch over to the technology. And right. so this is uh, will definitely come in the future, but it's not something that's going to be uh, immediate. That's what I was going to say. I'm sure it will, it will evolve to that 10, 15 oh, years definitely. down the line to be standard. Yeah, it's very powerful. I just want to move on to quick conversation on hoof wool, um, which would not be in breeding. I believe that would be more to do with the disease coming in through external lines. There have been um, massive efforts made by societies um, to help with the situation, to build awareness of the situation. And Melissa, since we did the last podcast, I think there's massive improvements. And even recently, the CPBS here in Ireland um, were offering free testing, which was fantastic. What are your thoughts where we are now? Um, We won't focus too much on it, but update on numbers. And are we doing a good job? My impression is um, that it's slowly improving. There's definitely a movement away from carrier stallions being used. And there's some of them that had quite a few progeny in even 2016 to 2019. They just don't have progeny now in the last two years. But let's be clear. Yeah, it's important we continue with our carrier stallions to keep the lines and the diversity. Yes, yes, within within reason. Um, So I could go in... We actually use some of Fiona's uh, stallion research um, in the next kind of step of what we were looking at here um, okay. with our diversity. Um, the largest number of foals um, in the time period 2016 to 2019, uh, sires had under 20 offspring within the time period. Mm-hmm. Um, but out of that 8,300 foals registered, so it was the um, 1,043 were sired by seven stallions. And yeah. one of those stallions is a carrier. For a carrier to have that many offspring mm-hmm. um, is a little bit um, surprising because we really say that carriers should not be eliminated from breeding. Yeah. But the goal is to produce some quality offspring that are hoofwall free. And then you continue with them and not with the original carrier. And so that's how you stepwise eliminate. You don't use a carrier a huge amount. You use them enough to get um, progeny that keeps their good um, traits. So you don't want to lose any of that, but there's no point in continuing um, using their carrier offspring to a large amount because um, if you have normal ones to continue. How do we educate the societies then to inform or introduce guidelines for carrier stallion owners um, to ensure we abide by this, what we believe is the right practice? Mm -hmm. So one of the first things I would suggest is that mares must be tested. It not be allowed for two carriers to be paired. That's the very first thing. There's still affected foals being born. And even if the mares haven't been tested, um, there are affected foals that are born and the breeders repeat the breeding. Do we need to penalise those breeders then that are doing that because we still have them? They might have declined with awareness, but how do we actually stop that? I don't know what's actually possible, um, but something that I would think is that um, if they continue to breed um, affected ponies, that something be done to their breeding privileges if that's a thing I don't know mm-hmm. um, but something where those offspring um, cannot be registered or 
we don't want to penalize the offspring, but there has mm. to be some sort of consequence, and that I can't really speak to, but mm. of what it should be. But there can't it can't be allowed to um, keep producing affected offspring. That's that's yeah. number one thing. And I know that in the there was some stallion registry this year, they had to say what the status was, but there were actually carrier males, uh, sorry, affected males that were included. Okay. And I know yeah. that was with some controversy. Now, yeah. I know that if it was an absolute rare, rare line, that maybe um, an affected animal that's in good health must be used because it's the last remaining of that genetic diversity or something, and that there be a very dedicated, um, very conscious effort to uh, produce some clear um, animals and then that that horse could be retired. In terms of Ireland, I think perhaps where colts are put up for inspection, what we're getting inspection is very high levels of the, of, if you like, blue line, of blue lines and red line, mm. um, and not so many of the others. And I think there's an issue there that it's all just on the appearance of the pony on the day. There's no accounting of whether its lines are rare or if it's another one by a standing who's got multiple sons at stud. There's a whole perspective there that, um, in terms of making sure that genetic diversity is continued preserving and the Irish Draft Society have a had a 2017 report where they because they were way further down the track they they were down to about 500 mares or something some very small number mm. um, and their genetic diversity was very uh, limited and they've been managing it for the last probably 15 or so years. Um, and the report has a lot of really good recommendations that the Connemara Society um, could implement. You know, things like not having stallions, having a limit to the amount of inbreeding that those stallions are allowed to have in their pedigree, um, having a limit to the number of sons by, you know, particular by stallions that are overused. So when it, when it comes to the Irish draft inspections, we're saying they take the genetics into consideration when inspecting the stallions. They do, yes. Okay. And they actually have a group of, as they have rear line, what they call rear lines that they have identified, okay. and they have a the separate criteria for those stallions to that they need to meet. Although, though the Irish draft, they want the right model, the right characteristic and traits of the breed. There's almost like um, an allowance for yes, the rare yes. breed type to come in. Right, so if yes, we were yes. to try and replicate this it, with yes. the Connemaras, we again need to be aware that the blue line is very used, possibly overused. We look at yes. the purple and the orange lines and possibly have some sort of rare breed or rare category to allow them because uh, currently we have the linear testing but actually there are some allowances as part of the inspections to actually um, right yes yes the it. other thing that the Irish draft is they have a limit they they have said that they want a level the coefficient of inbreeding which is a measure of the level of inbreeding yeah. to be below five percent now that would take out probably if we did that for the Connemaras and using a f full pedigrees, it would take out more than half the ponies that are put up for inspection. 
stick the, on the stallion side of the, the colt side. I haven't done the filly numbers, but yes, there are, there are colts being presented that are more closely related than like a first cousin, first cousin to first cousin marriage or mating, whatever you'd like to call it. Mm. But um, yeah, there are ponies that are far too inbred to the most. The takeaway from that is we we need to be more data driven on our approach and inspections and not just the absolutely in front of us. Okay, and then sorry, going back. You go ahead. I was just going to say there's there's rare breeds um, where they bring in outside breeds to try to rejuvenate, Mm -hmm. and uh, what's been found often with those is that um, of course the first generation doesn't look like the original breed uh, that they're trying to preserve, and so those um, don't pass inspection. And so it's immediately lost. Uh, that diversity that they're trying to to bring into the breed is lost because, yes, of course, they don't look exactly like they should. And so um, when you bring that to uh, a breed where, okay, we don't need to go outside of the Conampara pony population, we just need to think about bringing in some of those rarer lines, perhaps they are more rare because they weren't successful in the shows. But this okay. is the thing, and, and, and of course, you know, there are ponies that aren't passed because they're not as typey as your typical pony, but they might be good performance ponies, jumping ponies or whatever, but they typically wouldn't pass inspections. Um, and right, those ponies and have a lot of those lines with the thoroughbred, the Nasil or the the Arab coming in. So again, there needs to be um, consideration for that as part of the inspections. Well, yeah, they, they, it needs to be taken into consideration that, okay, uh, perhaps like the, the Irish draft, um, that this pony might not be typey, but it has a lot of other things to offer. Mm. And so it should be given a little bit of leeway. And um, that really, uh, perhaps in the inspections or so taken into consideration, yet it has something to offer the breed. It's not going to look exactly like, but with time and a few more generations, it can be brought to look like yeah. while maintaining the diversity. And Honestly. that's something that this long-term view is necessary. I'd agree with that, yes. yeah. Um, I'm just going to move back to summarise the hoof wall. What we're saying is carrier stallions are okay, but at limited numbers until they potentially produce an NN stallion. And really, they should be limited moving forward. Um, and then overall, there have been advancements um, in what we're doing with Hoofall, as, as Fiona said, but we, we have further improvements needed. What I do want to move on to is um, another disease that I know a little bit, bit about, PSSM1 and PSSM, PSSM2. One of you just give us a little bit of insight on what this is. So PSSM, there's always been um, horses and ponies with what we just call exercise intolerance. And okay. so they have muscle uh, problems. And uh, so originally exercise intolerance. And um, in, I think it was 2008, a research group found um, a disease that they called PSSM1, polysaccharide storage myopathy 1. And this um, um, mutation, it predisposes ponies or horses all to um, develop muscle problems, um, it can be quite well managed with uh, diet and exercise. They need very low sugar because it's a problem actually of storing the sugar in the muscle tissue. 
Okay. And so they were often said to have Monday morning disease. So they work hard all week. They have the weekend off. And then on Monday, when you work them again, they're really sore. Um, and so all of these um, animals that tested positive for this mutation, they were called PSSM1. Mm-hmm. And all of the ones that had similar symptoms but were negative, they were put into this umbrella term PSSM2. And so there's been a lot of research done uh, to try to figure out what is going on with PSSM2. And it's been found that um, PSSM2 really is a an umbrella term because there's a lot of different variants that seem to be associated with the risk of developing muscle disease. And so there's different variants that currently can be tested for. Uh, it's not yet peer-reviewed. Um, my company offers these, but it's, it's with the caveat that these are uh, risk variants and they're not just because an animal has one doesn't mean that they will develop symptoms. It's the same with PSSM1. Just because an animal has a PSSM1 mutation doesn't mean that they develop uh, the symptoms if they're well managed with diet and exercise. And so with the PSSM2, it's, it's very similar. And we have found that um, both PSSM1 and PSSM2 have been found in uh, Connemara pony population. This is um, a bit different than hoof wall because it isn't clear-cut. You can have a lot of animals that uh, have the genetic mutation but that don't develop symptoms because they happen to be on perfect um, diet and exercise. Um, some sport animals, for, for instance, when they're in sport um, are great and then after they retire have a problem because they're mm-hmm. no longer on the uh, high-protein food and exercise. Um, and so we, we really say that um, this is something that should be taken into consideration, but it's not like hoof wall where you say, okay, this horse has a variant, and so um, you want to um, eliminate it from the breeding or reduce the breeding. It's if the horse uh, has no symptoms, um, then we're saying don't necessarily uh, eliminate it from the breeding. Um, look at stepwise. Um, reducing the the frequency of the alleles in the population. So that's like hoof wall. We're saying do it gradually, um, but just because a horse has a PSSM1 or 2 mutation, if it doesn't have symptoms itself, then um, it should just be bred judiciously, uh, but not thrown out of the breeding population immediately because it has one of these variants. Okay, so I would suspect a lot of our listeners have no idea what this is and mm-hmm. like, like how prevalent is it in the Connemara breed? And you've mentioned some of the sort of symptoms maybe similar to tying up or similar. Like, yeah, so PSSM1 um, is more of the uh, classic tying up, painful, you'll see increased muscle values in the blood um, because the, the uh, muscle cells actually get damaged. And PSSM2, because it is a mixture of things under the same name, um, you see a lot more muscle tightness, difficulty in building muscle. Uh, muscle is lost very easily, especially from the um, hindquarters, the top line, um, shoulders. And you often see uh, what look like kick marks. So ripples in the muscle and, and actual kind of like divots in the muscle. Um, and horses often have a lot of pain-related behaviors, uh, don't want to go forward. Um, a lot of them in early stages um, have problems with gait coordination and don't mm-hmm. like to canter, things like this. 
and it is adult onset, so you don't often see um, major symptoms until they're seven, eight, nine, ten um, years old, or after they've had a major stress. That's a trigger um, for this kind of uh, muscle problem to come out. Can it be managed, or is 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 it? It depends it? on the horse and the situation. Um, a lot of horses do fairly well if they're fed a very high-protein diet. Uh, some need supplementation from uh, vitamin E and antioxidants and such. But they also need um, a lot of daily exercise to keep the muscles in building phase um, and to keep the horse um, that the muscles aren't always stiff. They're mm. really sensitive to cold, so they need to be blanketed. Uh, somebody would say, well... No, Con, Connemara ponies should need to be blanketed. Well, if they have a muscle problem, they should because they're really sensitive and get cold and stiff really easy. Um, but we can't say anything about the frequency because we mm. have what's called a biased sample. We're mostly getting to test um, horses that have symptoms and, and their relatives and then a few breeders who actually know about it. And so um, at this point, we can't really say what the frequency is in the breed because mm. the, the samples we're getting aren't indicative of the whole breed. And so um, it's not something that pony breeders should be taking as um, any kind of, you know, huge, um, devastating problem. It's just something that they can be aware of. And um, if they are seeing uh, symptoms in their horse or horses they've, ponies they've produced, then it's worth taking a look at these uh, possibilities uh, because both are found in the breed. If it is in our breed then should we be taking measures now to maintain it? Is it something that old stallions should be tested? Um, are there other stallions that are doing a better job than what we should? Because we know there's evidence it's in the breed um, and we don't want a situation, I assume, that it's grown and it's it spreads further. Right. Um, at this point, um, we're mostly suggesting that symptomatic horses are tested because the, the problem is that um, horses will get a stigma, basically, against them. Oh, they've got such and such mutation. Well, there's also a lot of other background variants in the genome that can influence um, if, if they actually show the symptoms. And just because a horse has one, and if they're perfectly healthy themselves, then um, it doesn't mean that they should necessarily be eliminated from the breeding program if they have other good things to offer. So especially when you're looking at a rarer line, um, you would give a lot more leeway um, and, again, look at, over time, eliminating from the population. But also, because it isn't yet published and we don't yet know the frequency, Mm. um, we say concentrate on um, the animals that are showing symptoms. And also, um, if an animal is showing you some kind of symptoms of muscle problems or something, maybe reconsider breeding them at all. So just finally, um, an interesting um, discussion would be on melanomas in the Connemara breed, which are quite prevalent. The, the melanoma is directly linked um, or directly caused by the uh, mutation that also causes uh, the gray co- color. Okay. And so 85% of um, gray ponies will have melanoma by the time they're 15 years of age. Wow. Um, happens even faster in homozygous gray ponies. And um, often they're not even noticed. 
Um, so there's no way to get rid of the melanoma um, without getting rid of the gray, unfortunately. But it's also uh, perhaps um, a thought that um, you wouldn't want all of your Connemaras to be gray. Um, that gray is extremely um, prevalent in the breed, and it's, I mean, of course, beautiful. But um, the only way to reduce the um, prevalence of melanoma in the breed um, is to reduce the, the amount of gray. And perhaps um, if you want gray going with a heterozygous gray, so only one copy, and then that reduces the prevalence a little bit. One other thing that just comes to mind, squamous cell carcinoma, ocular uh, squamous cell carcinoma, SCC, um, mm. has been identified in the breed. And it causes tumors um, around the eye. And um, it, it has been, been found in the breed and in, uh, they've been affected Connemaras, not just um, uh, carriers. Uh, you need two copies and it increases the risk of developing this kind of eye uh, squamous cell um, cancer. And so um, breeders can also keep an eye out um, for the, the eyes of their ponies and see if, uh, if they do see anything strange, um, that this is also uh, a possibility that's in the breed, not something to panic about, um, mm. but it is testable. And um, again, that's something that um, should be just kept in mind. Uh, it's not necessarily a melanoma um, that they're seeing around the eye. It could be this, uh, this other problem. But so, so if you're a stallion owner, just thinking of these tests, are you better off... You're, you want to market your stallion. Are you better saying hoof wool clear, PSSM1 and 2 clear, and then getting the test done on this and saying clear for this as well? Oh, sure, it's great marketing. I would yeah, definitely say the, um, yeah, you have to say, say the hoof wool. Maybe you want to also um, say the genetic diversity of the animal. Mm. You know, um, even just calculate from, from coefficient of inbreeding from the pedigree. Um, something like that, or highlight the rare line. Um, yeah, yeah. And then if you can say, yeah, a tested free of PSSM1, tested free of this SCC, um, maybe PSSM2, um, yeah, any of those things will give um, the mare owners um, really good information about the stallion and mm. perhaps be a way to highlight um, why your stallion should be used Um especially if it's got low genetic diversity. Just to wrap up, I'm just conscious of time. If we, if we're just a question for each of you, if you're make, to make a recommendation to the societies with regards to genetics or, you know, if you had your magic wand, I asked that a couple of times. What, um, Melissa, to start with you, what would you really ask uh, the societies to do or to change? Zero tolerance of the production of hofalfuls. Okay. There is no excuse in this day and age when a cheap or free test is available to produce mm -hmm. an affected foal. Brilliant. And Fiona? Uh, for me, it's about um, the society, uh, the, the council, really knowing the population of ponies, knowing what's happening with it in terms of the, the stallion populations and making an effort to balance it and keep that diversity there, taking real actions. And to your point earlier, even at inspections, really enabling the less frequent lines to come out. And That's right, yes. Have a yeah. higher chance of approval. Brilliant. Well, both of you, thank you so much um, for this conversation. It's been massively um, 
educational for me and I, I'm, I'm absolutely sure our listeners will get a lot, a lot out of this as well. So really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Oh, thanks very much. Yes, thank you. Lovely to talk to you. You too. <laughs>